Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I am your host, Aaron, and joining me are my co-hosts, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi there. And today we're going to discuss the characters and I believe the biohazards, aka the monsters. Bio-organic weapons. Yes, the the BOWs of Resident Evil Zero. I'm pretty excited about this, aren't you guys? No, not at all. Oh, shush. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're just going to dive right into this one. I believe... Daniel has the floor on this one. Yes, my favorite character. Rebecca. Yeah. So, let me get here. So, originally her background. She was a child prodigy. Rebecca Chambers was entered into university at a young age and graduated with a bachelor's degree in chemistry at the age of 18. How young did she get in? Well, I mean, she had to have been smart. Yeah. It is Rebecca, so... I imagine probably <laughs> 15, 16, somewhere around there. Like Sheldon. <laughs> All right. Scouted for her talents by various groups, she found herself picked for the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, otherwise known as STARS. STARS. The Special Forces Division of the Raccoon Police Department. Assigned to the Bravo team in June 1998, Chambers served as rear security and as its medic with her expertise making up for a lack of experience in combat. Sounds like a somebody named Lacerate. <laughs> That's another podcast if you guys want to hear it. Cyberpunk. <laughs> Way to drop that in there. Yep, I had to. That's why I did quick. <laughs> Due to her young age, fellow officer Richard Aiken was charged with looking after her in missions. Rebecca also joined the RPD, that's Raccoon Police Department, for people who don't know acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to be terrible this episode. Uh, she also joined the RPD intramural basketball team due to being an avid fan of the sport to the point that she always played with her friends on holidays. Isn't one of the secret costumes in Zero a basketball uniform for her? I believe so. I want to have to look that up. Or it's been mentioned in other media. All right. Chambers joined STARS during a difficult period for the Raccoon Police Department. Since the 20th of May, the police had been investigating a series of animal attacks and cannibalistic murders taking place somewhere in Raccoon Forest, but in particular, the section of the Arclay Mountains and the city's northwest. Failing to establish any suspects in mid-July, the RPD formally assigned STARS to the case. On the night of the of the 23rd of July, which was a Thursday, Bravo team took off in Bell UH-1 Iroquois if, and flew northwest into the Arclay Mountains. Soon after 2200 hours, the helicopter experienced engine difficulties and was forced to make an emergency landing in the force. This was later determined to be the result of sabotage, but was not known at the time. And that's all I currently have for Rebecca, as anything else is further beyond zero, or zero's history, and then further beyond that at this time. 
I'm still hooked and stuck on her being a child prodigy and having a bachelor's degree by the age of 18. There's smart people out there. I mean, yeah, but... Well, I also like the aspect of she wasn't afraid to get down and dirty as well. You know, I do admire that about her. Like, I, I do like in Zero where she... Character growth. You can see that character growth out of her. Yeah, but like what I was referring to is like most scientists and stuff, they don't get out on the field and do things and then getting forced into this scenario with monsters and zombies and all of that and she kept going. I mean, clearly it's a video game and you have to play it, but like, I just like that aspect about her, that she wasn't afraid to Mm -hmm. go out there and do it. Yeah. I think probably what helped her too was her stars training because if she didn't have that she was just straight scientist and yeah that would be a lot harder for her and I get she's also the main character in the game you kind of have to play her she can't really run away but but stars trained or not you're encountering a monster that you've never encountered before I think <laughs> right I think you'd be questionable back nope done mm-hmm right so the next character I believe we have to discuss is from Ariel and it is Billy Cohen yes Billy Cohen was a U.S. Marine Corps second lieutenant turned death row inmate that escaped into the Arclay Mountains after the military transport vehicle escorting him was forced off the road by a pack of Cerberus. See, that makes sense. Yeah, he didn't just, you know, (laughs) kill everybody in there so he could escape. He took refuge in the nearby Ecliptic Express, where he would later meet Rebecca Chambers, who had arrived with stars to investigate reports of murders in the vicinity. So let's get into some background. In mid-1997, Cohen was a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps with Force Recon. While opposed by the UN, the U.S. was intervening in a civil war in Africa and his squad was sent out to confront the gorillas head-on at their base, deep within a jungle. Dropped some distance away, the march to the base was long and arduous. A fever spread among the men, and they were harassed by gorillas. By the time they reached their destination, only four were left. When their target quickly turned out to be a village and not the gorilla base, the squad leader ordered they massacre the villagers anyway, so as not to come back empty-handed. Cohen disobeyed orders and was knocked out with a rifle, but while the other three brought all 23 villagers into a circle to be shot. Following the mission, rumors quickly spread about the operation, and a commission was established to investigate. Faced with the escalating scandal, they agreed to a cover-up, and Cohen was blamed for the deaths owing to a temporary loss of sanity. He was taken to a psychiatric hospital for a further checkup and found to be sane enough to stand trial. He was found guilty under Clause 1, Article 118 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice and sentenced to death. Wow, they really did their research on that. Yeah. You know, and then all of the things happened Mm -hmm. that we already discussed. So let's discuss the aftermath, what happened after it. Ooh. Upon returning to Raccoon City after the mansion incident, Chambers filed a report falsely claiming that Cohen had died during the initial attack on the van, keeping her word. According to the report, Bravo team was forced to leave Cohen's body behind 
at the site of the MP vehicle. She went on to request a suspension of the case. As of September 1998, when the Raccoon City outbreak occurs, it is unknown if this suspension was carried out. However, any police reports of the case was presumed destroyed following the Raccoon City's destruction. And his whereabouts are unknown. Nice little happy ending for Billy Cohen. Yeah, he deserves it. Really. He went through a whole lot of shit. He was doing the right thing and, of course, got scapegoated into Mm -hmm. being the cover. I do really like the fact that they used an actual article from the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Is that really a... I I don't know. I didn't know it was really a thing. Uh, Yeah, it is actually the actual article, too. Article 118 of the UCMJ relates to murder, and it actually says... An enlisted member kills a human being unlawfully without excuse or justification. So it is it is an actual oh, article. That's pretty cool. I know. That's why I said I love the fact that they actually did the research into the military aspect of this to actually get an actual article. Oh, that it is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that all being said, what comes next? Well, we are going to just briefly discuss supporting characters of the game. Okay. All right. So we'll start with Dr. James Marcus. Okay. Which was covered in the episode about the Umbrella Founders. Mm -hmm. So if you've listened to that episode, some of this will be the same information. He was an accomplished virologist and one of the three founding members of Umbrella Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Marcus led his own T-virus research distinct from those of his fellows in the laboratory below Umbrella's Executive Training Center. He mysteriously disappeared 10 years before the events of the game. A mysterious individual is now using infected leeches to coordinate attacks on Umbrella in his name. So that would be Dr. Marcus's part in this game. Mm -hmm. I see. What, What interests me is the fact that he had to have been using leeches to experiment with a T-virus. Yes. Which is incredible. Incredibly disgusting. (laughs) All right. The next one is also another doctor. I think most of these are doctors in the beginning. (laughs) Doctor, 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 doctor. That's why they talk to each other. (laughs) Dr. William Birkin. He was an umbrella researcher with an influential role in the T-virus and G-virus projects. Dr. Birkins was one of the leaders in the project to reopen Dr. Marcus's training center when their teams were attacked by leeches. That's oh, coming back full circle. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not a huge fan of any of these doctors, really. No, they, they can all be leech food for all I care. Ugh. <laughs> all right, I've got Dr. Albert Wesker. An Umbrella security officer, former researcher, and captain of the STARS Alpha team. Dr. Wesker has been assigned to oversee the reopening of the training center alongside Dr. Birkin. But we all know he does a lot more stuff than that. Mm -hmm. He's definitely going to be brought up many times during this. Oh, yes. Everyone loves Wesker. Actually, he is a pretty cool character. Yeah, we love to hate him. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And then we have Captain Enrico Marini, Bravo Team's leader, 
Captain Marini led the search for Cohen, and when Chambers was separated, attempted to remain in radio contact. That is that. Not much. I mean, who really didn't play a major part other than the radio contact? No, I mean, this is why they're called supporting characters. Mm -hmm. And I have Edward Dewey. Dewey! The Bravo team pilot. Dewey is attacked by dogs in the forest and escapes onto the Ecliptic Express soon after Chambers' arrival. Yeah, that happens within the first five seconds of the game. Yep. Then he gets the dogs jump out. Mm -hmm. So... And then we have, of course, the Bravo team members, Forrest Speyer, Kevin Dooley, Dr. Kenneth J. Sullivan, and Richard Aiken. They're just the names of the Bravo team members. Nothing exciting about them. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) All right. And that is that on the characters. So that means we're going to go ahead and dive in to our BOWs. After the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, you heard the gunshots. It's time for the middle of the show, where we discuss all the new things with Resident Evil. Woohoo! So, Ariel, what have you brought for us today? Well, I am bringing discussion. Oh? Of... The exclusive first look photos for the Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh, okay. Well, there were three photos in total released. One of Leon and Claire. One of Jill Valentine and Wesker. And then the other one is of Lisa Trevor. Lisa Trevor looks terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, (laughs) And Daniel brought it to my attention that it looks like somebody's on a toilet peeking around the corner and he's kind of right. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh. what I'd like to discuss is, okay, there's some controversy going on about the way Leon looks Mm -hmm. and everybody that's listened obviously knows that I am obsessed with Leon. I am a little disappointed. I am a little disappointed. He has black hair. Yeah, that's that's really what upset me about the whole ordeal was the fact that the look is there for you. It's not like you're trying to bring book characters to life. He's been in multiple formats of media and we know what his hair looks like. Yeah, and like the costumes were on point with mm-hmm. him and Claire and you know Claire looked decent as well. Yeah. Just what why wouldn't it hurt to dye his hair blonde? I mean, or yeah. dirty blonde. Like it wouldn't have hurt anything and it would have given you exactly what you wanted. Yeah. Now I will give them the benefit of the doubt. The photos are shot in shadowy kind of areas and people with dirty blonde hair in darker formats do come up with darker colored hair. Uh, You're wrong. 
No, I'm not saying you're wrong. You're right, but that, it's it's clearly it's clearly black hair. I I'm leaving room for hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still very excited about the movie, and you know the photo of Jill and Wesker, and you know that that mm-hmm. one's pretty cool too. And the one of Lisa Trevor is it's terrifying. But now all I can think about is sitting on a toilet. Lisa Trevor sitting on a toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I still have high hopes for this. Oh, um, yes. Of course I do. I am very excited about yeah, the movie. They do have some, they have some pretty good actors picked for the spots. Um, you know, I, if the hair is the worst thing that comes out of this movie, I'll be okay. I think I can accept that. Yeah. I mean, I can too. And the, okay, real quick, because the photo of Chris, like, in with Jill and Wesker. I mean, mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I do. Well, Daniel, what have you brought to the table for us today? As always, merchandise. This time, not from Etsy. Ooh. Oh! <laughs> but it's still merchandise. So. <laughs> it's not always new, but I find merchandise that maybe somebody wants. So there is a pennant you can buy that it is sized 30 by 12 inches. Okay. And it only runs $15.99. Oh. On, apparently it's called mygeekbox.us. Okay. And then you can look up Resident Evil Pennant, and it says, Welcome to Raccoon City, home of Umbrella. And of course, there's blood splatters on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's kind of low priced, and mm-hmm. you can decorate your home. We'll have it. to uh, post this to the Discord. And I'm going to need to have to buy it. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> I mean, if you're on the Discord, I put up a picture of the Plaga sample that I got, and it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. It is pretty cool. Um, we're actually going to post our picture of the Plaga sample next to our uh, T-virus and antivirus samples uh, later on. So... Right. I guess it's my turn for big news. Uh, my big news today isn't really that big. Um, we talked last week about the Resident Evil 4 VR and how it's coming out to the Oculus. It's still coming. It's still coming this year. They are in production. It is, from what I understand, in the Unreal 4 engine, which is fantastic. So not only are they redoing it for VR, but they're redoing the graphics. It's going to look nice. However, if you were looking forward to an actual RE4 remake, never fear. The stipulation is, and has been, shall we say, not confirmed, confirmed from Capcom, that that is not their version of the Resident Evil 4 remake. The RE4 for the VR is by a different company altogether. So Capcom is working on a secret project, which we are hoping is still the RE4 remake. So maybe we'll get two of them. Sweet. <laughs> I'm excited about an RE4 remake. I'm excited for the VR one. That's. I mean, I'm excited for that too. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get into our BOWs. Well, there's our second set of gunshots, so let's dive into these BOWs. Daniel, what do you got for me? All right. So everybody knows what a zombie is. Of course. But we're going to clarify what Resident Evil Capcom says that they are. Hey, that's okay. So what they've got listed is that a zombie refers to most humans that have succumbed 
to the T-virus either through contaminated water supply or infected bites and scratches from a virus carrier. The researchers at the Umbrella Corporation call them zombies. Mm. As in the Resident Evil universe, there was not zombie movies. No. In reference to Haitian folklore zombies, which are said to be recently dead bodies reanimated by necromancers for use as slave labor. Since some of the traits of zombies are the decomposed skin and lack of pulse, they are often mistaken for reanimated corpses. Apparently there's a difference. Mm. And here's a little bit of history on the zombie. So it looks like during his trials with the T-virus, Dr. James Marcus began to consider the impact that, uh, that human testing would have on his research, eventually forcing people into being guinea pigs for a secret bioweapon project. The result of these trials was the very first of the zombies. It would appear that information regarding Marcus's deeds only surfaced during the 1998 investigation into his laboratory, which had been quickly abandoned 10 years prior when he was murdered. The investigation reveals no less than 20 people as test subjects. Oh, snap. And of course, the zombies show up multiple times throughout the games, but uh, that's yeah. all really they have on history-wise before that. Okay. And that would be the zombie. Then next, we have... We're going to go with the crows. Okay. Which are more a nuisance than anything in the game. Yep. Crows are a genus of highly intelligent birds with populations spanning from Eurasia to the Americas. I think that's just real information there. (laughs) As infected animals... After the Raccoon City destruction incident caused by Queen Leech in the Arklay Mountains region, many crows became infected with the T-virus after consuming smaller infected animals. Unlike other animals infected by the T-virus, crows showed no visual no visual signs of infection aside, aside from their increased size. If threatened, however, they would attack their prey in a flock, otherwise they were harmless. It was through the crows that Star's Bravo team member Forrest Speyer became infected with the T-virus. Infected crows would appear again after Raccoon City had become completely infected by the T-virus. And that's mostly what I've got right now currently until the Raccoon City incident. Yeah. On the crows. Which, again, they'll make an appearance as an annoying... Nuisance. Yeah, nuisance later. (laughs) And the next thing I have is... One of my favorites is the Cerberus Dogs, which they are based on Doberman Pinschers. Oh, yeah. Let's see here. The Cerberus was an early attempt at creating a controllable bioorganic weapon by Umbrella USA in a project led by the Arclay Laboratory laboratory they should not be confused with zombie dogs which encompasses all dog breeds infected with any t-virus strain in the secondary form pronounced as the greek word cerberos cerberos yeah this creature was named after mythological guardian of hades a gigantic dog with three heads and a collar made of venomous snakes and then here's a little bit of history on it the Cerberus project began in the early 1980s as the B strain was developed. It was hoped that the improved T virus strain would create mutants more adequate for sale as military products 
and Dobermans were specifically selected for the project due to their traits favoring military service. Though they suffered skin deterioration, their muscles were left largely intact, and this and their increased strength and aggression made them more dangerous. As SBOW species was created from an existing animal, unlike the hunter program, the cost to create the Cerberus prototypes was low. Deemed a success, the later Cerberuses were created by cloning one of the prototypes. The Arclay Laboratory conducted testing on these dogs in the courtyard until the T-Virus outbreak in 1998 when they escaped. Hungry and lacking their umbrella trainers, they turned feral and began killing and eating hikers out in the Arclay Mountains. Members of this pack fought with stars, but it is unknown how many escaped the mansion incident. And they would also be responsible for Billy's escape. Yep. And that is what I have on the Cerberus dogs. All right. Now we go to Ariel for more BOWs. Yes. I've got the leech. Ooh. Leeches refer to both ordinary leeches, which were injected with the progenitor virus okay. to create the T-virus from their DNA, and mutated leeches infected with the T-virus during the Raccoon City destruction incident. So let's get into the progenitor leeches. Okay. These leeches were created in 1978 by Professor James Marcus by combining the progenitor virus with leech DNA to create the T-virus and then injecting the T-virus into their bodies. Oh, snap. The virus causes the leech to grow much larger size than that of an ordinary leech and to increase the power of its teeth to the point where it can bite through glass. Holy crap. Ugh. Well, that's how they got to the train. Yeah, they did. The most unique characteristic of Marcus's leeches was their ability to learn from their experiences and work together to overcome them. Eventually wow. functioning effectively as a single creature. Oh. It was at this point that they gained the ability to shape themselves into a roughly humanoid form, seemingly out of a desire to imitate their beloved creator. These creatures, which retain their shape due to mucus fluid that coasts the external leeches in order to provide rigidity, are known as mimicry, Marcus. Okay. Several times in Resident Evil Zero, leech swarms will bond together to form a mimicry Marcus. They have the basic form of James Marcus, but have more floppy movements than basic zombies due to the lack of bone structure. A mimicry Marcus is also fairly elastic, being able to stretch and elongate its limbs. It can attack by biting, whipping with its arms, or wrapping its arms around the character and squeezing. When destroyed, a Mimicry Marcus will inflate and walk towards the player until it explodes, releasing leeches that will attack the player. Mimicry Marcus is easily damaged by fire, either Molotov cocktails or flame rounds from the grenade launcher. If a Mimicry Marcus is burned to death, it will not spawn leeches upon dying. Ooh. And that's what I've got on that. Okay. So what is our next B.O.W.? The Plague Crawler. Ooh. The Plague Crawler was an arthropod species genetically engineered as part of Dr. James Marcus's early experimentations into T-virus-based bioorganic weapons. Dr. Marcus began his research into the viability of the 
T-Virus B.O.W. soon after its 1978 creation. The plague crawler was one such species created through using the virus for purposes of deliberate genetic modification. In regards to this particular species, its origins lie in the merging of DNA from multiple insect species using the T-Virus as a sort of bonding agent. While the plague crawler species proved that viable bioweapons could be created through the virus, they were regarded by Marcus as a failure due to their lack of intelligence and control, which made them impractical for military use. Marcus made preparations for the entire species to be destroyed as waste at the Umbrella Executive Training School, though some plague crawlers managed to escape destruction and survived in the complex until 1998. Research data on the creatures appear to have survived the destruction of the facility as samples was purchased by Javier Hidalgo at the turn of the 21st century as low-cost bioweapons. And that's about all I have on the plague crawlers. Now, which one are the plague crawlers? Is that the ones that look like crickets? Yeah, like giant crickets. Like ugly, the giant crickets that we you bugs. first run into when you go to the clock tower. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> right. What is our next BOW? Giant spiders. Giant spiders. We got all kinds of insects going on in Zero. I know, and I'm just not... Not a fan. <laughs> you just don't like bugs. No, no, I don't. All right. The giant spider was a BOW created by Dr. James Marcus during his early trials with the T virus. While they appear identical to the web spinner, the two are of unrelated projects. The web spinner was created independently and without knowledge of Marcus's early research. Ooh. No, no. All right. The giant spider is a blanket term used for any spider that had been infected due to the T virus in an unplanned manner, an irregular mutant. They are different from the web spinner in the sense that the web spinner BOWs were experimented from the start, while the wild spider simply mutated on contact. Oh. The giant spiders, like other T virus infected spiders, produce little spiders which live on their mother's back. (laughs) If the back of the giant spider wasn't blasted by powerful weapons, little spiders won't appear. Unlike the web spinner, these irregular mutant spiders had kept the ability to create a web for trapping prey, which logically made them much more akin to the black tiger. And that's that on giant spiders. Nice. All right. The next B.O.W. is what they call the Eliminator. The Eliminator? Yes. They are a primate-based B.O.W. They were first featured as enemies in Resident Evil Zero and in Resident Evil The Umbrella Chronicles. The Eliminator was one of several early prototype weapons developed exclusively by James Marcus during the test phases of the T-Virus capabilities as a weapon, but before the selection of a specific host for the strain. Developed alongside the Eliminator were the Lurker and Plague Crawlers, further displaying Marcus's fascination with the use of unlikely subjects as deadly weapons. Although initially deemed a successful project, the Eliminator was found to have undergone a significant decline in overall intelligence as a result of T-Virus administration, which was supposed to be its greatest asset to Umbrella's BOW program. 
Mass production of the laminator was canceled and only a handful of specimens were preserved for further testing and general research. Marcus instead turned his attention to the potential that human subjects presented as the virus host, later unwittingly providing Dr. William Birkin and STARS Alpha Team Captain Albert Wesker with the first scraps of information pertaining to the creation of the Tyrant Class BOW. The existing eliminators were left to rot, although James Marcus released them on Rebecca Chambers and Billy Cohen after they had infiltrated the Umbrella Executive Training School. Marcus note, noted that the remaining eliminators had been exhausted by ne negligence and, con and hunger, suggesting they had not been at full strength but encountered. And that is the eliminators. There's only two more, two more smaller creatures. Next would be the Lurker, which was a species of frog created in the early years of T-virus research as part of our study in the effects of mutation on amphibians and their suitability as bioweapons. Created by Dr. James Marcus, the failures in the Lurker indicated that the amphibian-based bioweapons were impractical with the T-virus strains available at the time. The only other known prototype amphibian bioweapon was the Hunter, over 15 years later, which suffered the same flaws. Mutants of a similar appearance to the Lurker were spotted in the sewers during the Raccoon City destruction incident. Let's see here. In his research on progenitor and the early T-virus strains, Dr. James Marcus chose frogs to represent the amphibia class of animal. The infected frogs were largely unbenefited by the viral infection, only increasing in size. It was largely agreed in umbrella research for years to come that a bioweapon should have both strength and intellect. As the lurker's brainpower did not improve beyond that of the frog species it was based on, it was unsuitable for military sales. Without intelligence, the increased aggression associated with T-virus infection would merely make it a danger to potential keepers. And the last one I have is the hunter which will be split between this and another because there's more information in further games. Mm -hmm. The hunters are a group of human-animal hybrids which were genetically engineered as biological weapons. Hunter species were created through the grafting of reptilian donor DNA to a fertilized human embryo with the aid of the T-virus as a bonding agent, with the, exception, with the exception of the hunter Y which reversed the process with human DNA grafted into the genome of fertilized amphibian spawn. The hunters were one of Umbrella's more successful products and among their oldest, having entered production with the Hunter A in the 1980s. Following Umbrella's demise, other bioweapon manufacturers used the research data create, to create new hunter species with Farfarello among the latest iterations. In Umbrella's earliest years, the business strategy of its co-founder, Oswald E. Spencer, was the engineering of viral strains of progenitor to be used as profitable weapons, with funds raised going to the Wesker Project. Until the 1980s, T-virus research was pioneered independently by Umbrella Street founders and their labs. In the 1990s, work was undertaken by other laboratories to improve upon Birkin's creation of the Hunter. And then there's further information after the mansion incident. It looks like that's mostly all I've got on the hunter currently. Okay. So we got the littles out of the way. Now it's time for the bigs. Yes. Let's talk tyrant. Yes. So 
the Proto Tyrant, the T001 model, was an experimental subject which served as the prototype for the later Tyrants. Despite its primitive design in comparison to later BOWs, it nonetheless demonstrated the bare ferocity that earned its series the name Tyrant. The T001 was created by the Arclight Laboratory's Tyrant Project team as part of their research into creating intelligent human bioweapons for military use. The prototype was created ahead of the T002, which was to perfect upon the prototype. Due to what was determined to be an overdose of T-virus during the initial infection, the test subject suffered from a number of unforeseen adverse effects, including a defective nervous system, reduced intelligence, and the acute exfoliation of its epidermis. Although the resulting creature possessed monstrously powerful strength, the reduction in its intelligence led to it being deemed a failure, and it was placed in storage at Nest, awaiting disposal. However, it was released when the Queen Leech attacked on July 24th. The T-001 went on to fight STARS officers Wesker and Chambers, as well as ex-Marine Billy Cohen. And that's what I have on the Tyrant. Man, the Tyrant is still one of my favorites. All right, and I believe we have one more. Oh, big baddie itself, Queen Leech. Yes. The Queen Leech was a mutant leech created through experimentation on annelids with the T-virus. Created as part of Dr. James Marcus's ongoing leech study, it was his final creation before his death. In the time after, it consumed his hippocampus and gained his memories. Believing itself subsequently to be Marcus reborn, it sought revenge for his death. The Queen Leech was created in 1988 in a laboratory adjacent to Umbrella's Executive Training School in the Arclay Mountains. When Dr. Marcus was assassinated by the Umbrella Security Service, Queen Leech was dumped in a nearby treatment plant with his corpse. Seeing his body as a food source, Queen Leech began consuming it and gained his memories after consuming the brain. It believed itself to be Marcus himself, reborn with divine intervention. Over the next 10 years, the Leech developed the ability to change its body shape into that of Marcus's. In May of 1998, the Queen Leech finally acted on its plan to avenge Marcus's death. Over the next few weeks, it manipulated an accident at the Arclay Laboratory, leading to the entire facility staff being infected with the E-strain. While their BOWs escaped into the forest, Umbrella's investigation team sent to evaluate the training school and laboratory for recommissioning were attacked and infected by leeches, as were the entire complement of a passenger train transporting Umbrella staff through the Arclay Mountains. The Queen Leech's goal was to create a devastating viral outbreak that would ultimately spread across the world. In keeping with Marcus's Christianity, Queen Leech saw itself as Jesus Christ and judged the entire planet to be wicked and be condemned to hell. Holy crap! Marcus really considered himself a Christian? <laughs> That's what I'm kind of stuck on. <laughs> We're not going into that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. 
<clears throat> so this is the RE lure cast, not the uh, religious lure cast. <laughs> <laughs> These attacks got the attention of doctors Albert Wesker and William Birkin, who were in charge of the training school operation. The two quickly recognized the Queen Leech as a serious threat to the company and made preparations to destroy the facility. In the meantime, the Queen Leech's attention was focused on Rebecca Chambers and Billy Cohen. Of course. Right? Who found their way in the training school when the train crashed into the underground station beneath it. The Queen Leech eventually saw no other way than directly confronting the two after they survived repeated attacks from the VOWs. It abandoned its human form and transformed into its natural state, a large green monster. The fight went awry when it accidentally revealed to Billy its sensitivity to sunlight. Distracted by the opening of a shutter, Billy fired it at the Queen Leech with a high-power magnum, finally killing it and its broken body fell down an elevator shaft where it was consumed by flames as Dr. Birkin set off the self-destruct during the fight. Holy shit. And that is the Queen Leech. And that is our final B.O.W. for zero. (sighs) All right, guys. Pick a favorite B.O.W. from zero. Do I have to? Because I hate bugs. Hate bugs. (laughs) Server's dogs. Server's dogs. You know what? I'm going to go with that, too. Now, realistically, realistically, it would probably be the freaking mimicry Marcuses. I don't know. They kind of terrified me, and then they blew up on you, and leeches went everywhere. I'm going to have to go with Queen Leechy. I know Tyrant is one of my favorites, but Queen Leech was quite a formidable opponent. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that is it for today's episode. And that is it for Resident Evil Zero. Yes, which I am super excited to get into the next one. Next week, we are jumping in to Resident Evil 1. Yes. And before we go, I just want to say the game is worth playing. I suggest playing it. Yes, Zero is worth playing. In fact... All of them, in my opinion, are worth playing. Well, I'm probably going to say that at the end of every single time we talk about the games in conclusion, <laughs> but really play it. It's a very good game. Yes. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. What up tonight, City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a Cyberpunk Red Live Play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie. This is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. Well, what are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? 
Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Altaris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Yeah, yeah, it's boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. How well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.